Welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by fellow co-host Blake Murphy, who got the long weekend off to uh, attend to some good news in the family. So, Blake, welcome back, man. Thanks, man. I, I find it very, very funny in this industry um, where, like, I got a couple of Twitter messages, which is obviously a very nice thing when I wasn't on the show Friday, but people act like taking a normal weekend is, like, a vacation where oh, you're gone yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the Raptors also didn't play. They played Friday night, of course. I, I watched that, and I was, you know, paying attention and everything like that. Uh, but it was very, very nice. I, uh, You guys might appreciate this. A listener of the show recognized me in the buffet line at an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet in Kitchener, which is probably like the most embarrassing place I've been recognized, just like a loaded plate overflowing. And uh, so shout out to Chu uh, who recognized me there. Um, Yeah, it was uh, was a fun weekend, though. That's amazing, man. That is amazing. How's practice, man? <laughs> I was practice. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was down at Raptors practice because the Raptors kind of had the whole weekend off too, right? Like Saturday they didn't practice, uh, and then Sunday practice. Friday they didn't play defense. They they only got uh, a half day in. <laughs> you know they earned it. They they really earned the day off on Saturday after the performance against the Knicks on Friday. Scotty did anyway. He did. Uh, and then yesterday was Giants of Africa, uh, the gala. So um, today they're back at practice. They're going to be practicing tomorrow. All week, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we, we really want to talk about practice this much. Uh, so I thought I'd just get down there to see what's going on. You know, there's not been that many practices we've been able to attend this year. Uh, I, I got to say, not not too much to report on. I mean, you had already written this in your piece because you went down to the 905. But I asked Grady just to put it on the record if he had changed the shot. Uh, and his exact quote was, I haven't changed my shot my entire life. Um, I shot the same way since I my mom made it when I was three. So I, I like that his jump shot is like the the little lunchables that your your mom would pass. <laughs> yeah, and I, look, I included this in the piece that when the Raptors and, and 905 head coach Eric Curry, who's worked mm-hmm. with Grady Dick since the day he came in the door, when they talk about making little changes to his jump shot, these are, you know, Grady Dick considers them more reminders than changes. Hey, keep that base wide, keep that base strong, shoot when you're stationary like you shoot coming off a screen mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, look, he also told me in that piece that his confidence hasn't been hit by how he shot. I'll take the next 10 shots. I don't care. Yep. And on Friday, he he finally saw some shots go through. The 905 won their first game of the season Bro, at so Scotiabank Arena, uh, an 11 a.m. game there where Grady Dick hit four of seven on threes. Uh, he finished that game with 21 points on just 14 field goal attempts. Uh, and the 905, or what's left of them, were able to come away with a win. That team just remains incredibly, incredibly snake-bitten, though. Marquise oh, yeah. Noel was out for that game already, as were Justice Winslow, Daryl Marcel, Omari Moore, and Miles Burns. And then Moji got a really scary yeah. moment. Um, he's the, the scans and stuff came back negative on his neck, so that's good. But he was, like, at the hospital post-game. Ron Harper less, left that game with a rib injury. Uh, so at least they got one win in there, but, man. Yeah, at least I have happy news to report on that front. It seemed like Moji was up and walking about at least post game before going to the hospital yeah. and stuff, but he was okay. Uh, at least it wasn't anything like super, super severe. Um, and then, yeah, guys like Marquise and Ron were back at practice shooting, you know, around. Uh, Darko was contesting some Marquise threes. All right. Yeah. I, I think he could have blocked a couple. I guess Darko's just, got the length for that, right? I'm just saying, I feel like Darko could have swatted a couple. 
Um, um, but otherwise, for practice, I mean, what else? Pascal talked about his three-point shooting struggles. What are you talking about? Yeah, what, what do you have to – because there was a Pascal quote that, that floated out that I wanted to talk about mm -hmm. as well. But what did he say specifically about his threes? Samson Folk had a good piece on uh, the three-point shooting struggles at Raptors Republic today as well. Yeah, I was going to ask Pascal about the three-point shooting, but then Eric Kareem uh, jumped ahead and, and, and asked a question, which was great. Uh, and, yeah, Pascal, I, I don't know. He didn't really, like, give a good explanation for it. It's not like he's like, you know, I've been really – like, you know, I'm changing my shot or sort of like anything like that. It was more just like he's like, look, when you're not shooting that many attempts, a couple of rim in and out, um, your percentage drops. I I don't know if I fully like – that's not like satisfactory. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that changes everything. It's not like the Grady thing where it's like, okay, he's not changed the shot. Therefore, like I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good about this because it doesn't seem like you should change a shooter shot. With Pascal's shot, I'm like, look, it's it's been a month and you've shot like 10% from three. On top of which, like – Pascal, see, I, I know Grady Dick is much younger and, you know, what you shot in high school, what you yeah, shot in college yeah. is not as important as what you've shot in the NBA. But it's not as if Pascal's peak as a three-point shooter was, like, elite. He no, went from no. having the worst three-point shooting season of all time yeah. as a sophomore. He shot 22% on the year and took almost two attempts a game to settling in as, like, okay, 37% on basically just catch-and-shoot corner threes, then 36%, and then basically since his offensive role expanded enough where he has to take those above the break threes and it's a little bit more pull up. It's a little less corner stationary. He has, you know, over the last four seasons combined settled in as a 31% three point shooter. So I don't even look at this as he's shot 20% this year. I look at it as we have a four year sample that says this guy's barely North of 30%, which can be okay when, you know, you're the post score you are, et cetera. But when it comes to what is your fit, Next, Scotty Barnes, how do you optimize? You know, how are you going to age mm -hmm. as you get into your 30s and things like that? The fact that that skill that he displayed for two years seems to have disappeared is uh, is a little troubling for me. No, it totally is troubling. And I think, you know, Pascal's had this weird relationship with the three-point shot. Um, that year you mentioned when he shot at the best in 2020, that was also in the bubble. It completely abandoned him to the point where it was like, you know, I mean, look, we don't have to revisit it, but the bubble was really ugly. And I think that... That was a very informative experience for him. He really, really started to build out the mid-range game um, from that point onwards because it was more of a reliable shot for him to get to, more of a comfortable range for him to get to. And since then, he's worked and, and become really good inside the arc. Um, I think he might be even shooting close to a career high in two-point percentage last, uh, t this year as well. But, I mean, look, listen, the threes are what they are. You know, <laughs> like every game, it's like one for five. And... And you know, he, he is he's shooting the best he shot on twos basically since he took on this role. You have to go back to yeah, the championship oh yeah, right, year right. where, you know. They were still guarding him single coverage. By the way, I was watching some videos uh, on the weekend on YouTube of just like, you know, the Raptors championship run. Of course you were. And, and I was just like, and, you know, uh, Kirk Goldsberry was, was the one narrating the, the piece for ESPN. He was talking about, you know, and Pascal really emerged. And, you know, he really scored really well that year. And I'm watching all the highlight clips. I'm like, A, he's in, he's in single coverage. And B, the spacing on the floor. It's just immaculate. You know, when the camera pans and they show, like, just the one, like, the central action of whoever has the ball, Pascal on the post, there's, like, maybe one or two other players on the screen. But that's how good the spacing is. Yeah. Everybody is hugged up on Danny Green, on Kawhi Leonard, on Kyle Lowry. You know, I, and I'm just like, damn. When you watch that versus what you watch nowadays, it's like the whole the whole two teams are on the screen. There's, like, nine, ten players on, 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 in the picture at any given time. But Yeah, our, our poor yeah. sports net people have, like, completely had to change the – 
you know, geography of how they shoot a game because before it was all wide shots. It's like, yeah, you got to yeah. pay attention to the weak side corner. And now it's like, no, you don't. No, the, yeah. the defender's in the paint anyway. Yeah, we went from 16-9 aspect ratio to 4-3 yeah. to three aspect ratio. So yeah. the other thing that Pascal talked about yeah. at practice, and these are the quotes that came out, um, the Raptors haven't won three games in a row this year. You have to go back to, oh, man. Uh, you have to, go back to late March last year when they beat... And get this, their last three oh, game on. winning streak. I, I know what it was. Was it? It was Charlotte twice. No, no. Uh, they they bookended the Charlotte uh, with losses to Philly and Boston on either Goodness. side. Wow. My um, bad, my bad. Just before that, though, they beat Detroit, Washington, and then Miami. Uh, okay. So that was the last time they won three in a row. Last time they were two games over five hundred was over a calendar year ago. Now they were eleven and nine last year. So yeah. uh, they got asked about that a little bit at practice today. Pascal said. It doesn't feel like anything is bad. It just feels like nothing is amazing. And then Darko also, or Pascal revealed that uh, Darko has told the team dinners on him when they finally win three straight. Uh, so now there's, oh. it's not $500,000 per player like the in-season tournament, yeah. but now it's if you can win three in a row, you you get a free Shanghai 360 before the game. Oh man, shouts to Chu at the buffet. No, um, that's... Look, I think that's the biggest problem with the team, right? Because you see this inconsistency. It's not like they're not capable of getting results. It's just they don't stay at a consistent level. And then what's really frustrating about it is, like, it's never the same thing. It's like some games, it's like, okay, they're losing because of free throw shooting. Some games are losing because of three-point shooting. Some games are losing because they start out super slow. It has nothing to do with their shooting. Just they start out super slow, and they got to come back. And sometimes they come back, but most times they, they get buried by it. Some games, they don't play defense. You know, that some games, game. they don't share the ball enough. So I was like, I, it's hard to sort of pinpoint, but... Ultimately, if you do want to be anything other than mediocre, and look, a lot of the team, a lot of the league is like probably like 10, 15 teams around 500 or within two games of 500 like the Raptors. But like, yeah, we've, we've kind of been in this stasis for like the last three years running now. So yeah. And where Pascal says, you know, it doesn't feel like anything is bad. It just feels like nothing is amazing. I understand that feeling. I understand they're nine and 11 and they haven't gone on a big winning streak or a big losing streak. So you can say that. I would say though, that Something does feel bad. They're 29th in free throw shooting and 28th in three-point shooting. Yeah. And there's just like, there's no way around that you're you're very near the bottom of the league yeah. in two very important shooting areas. And you do not have the personnel that you would look at it and say, well, that should regress to normal. No, these are the levels. You know, maybe the free throw shooting could be a little better because no team should shoot under 30, 73% for the entire season. But their yeah. three-point percentage is almost exactly what it was last year. Yep. So I don't think that, so I would say that respectfully, Pascal, that I feel like that is bad, mm. especially because I don't think there's a resolution with just internal in-season development. Yeah, well, I mean, it turns out if you don't change the team, the team doesn't change. So uh, speaking of the team changing, though, because this was a nice surprise. Um, woke up this morning, you know, first thing I do is check Woj's timeline because I'm a sicko. And I see that uh, Fred Van Vliet is appearing on the Woj pod. And so I tap in, knowing that Fred's probably going to talk about Toronto, knowing that Fred's a really good speaker, as we know, here in Toronto. And a couple of clips did really jump out uh, when he, Fred, spoke about his uh, free agency process. So I want to, to, to change the subject and get to those, because I know he's already left the team, but it is interesting hearing from his perspective uh, how the free agency meetings went. So here's that clip. Did Toronto feel like a recruitment anymore uh no not at all and I think that's that's part of it and um you know I have a great relationship with those guys obviously Masai and Bobby and um you know I grew up in Toronto I, um I earned a lot of who I am there 
Um, but again, you got to understand the situation and kind of know what's going on in, in the organization. And it was just a time where it's like, okay, it's starting to go around Scotty. It's starting to go around some of the other young guys. And um, my value there wasn't probably as great as it was in Houston. And, you know, really that's all it boiled down to. So it definitely was not um, much of a, uh, uh, buttering up in that in that uh, meeting, um, but I always give Masai credit for shooting straight and being honest and upfront. And um, you know you gotta you gotta commend him for that. And, and we've always had a great line of communication, and he was pretty pretty straightforward. You know, yeah. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think you know that makes sense, and that certainly backs up how it kind of felt once free agency got going. You know, I I do remember. You know, hearing around those times that the, the Raptors didn't give Fred, Fred Bedley no offers, but once it got to 42 million per year, mm-hmm. um, it got a little tougher. Now there's also the weirdness of like Fred's deal is technically two years in a team option um, and things like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I understand that. However, there is, you know, this once again kind of shines a spotlight on this incongruency between what the Raptors have actually been doing roster build wise and what they are saying. Mm, and Fred okay. saying, well, they were taking, you know, they were looking to the future. They're going to build. I think there's another quote where he uses the phrase start over. And those are the things you're talking about. But at the same time, they had just, so they were 26 and 30 at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And they decided at that trade deadline, trade a first round pick in a couple seconds for Jakob Pertle. Do not trade Fred Van Vliet for whatever might be available. Do not trade Pascal Siakam, Gary Trando, Giannanobi for what might be available. It is four months later in real calendar time, but in NBA time, they only got a couple weeks more of information. Mm-hmm. They were one game over 500 after the trade deadline. Sure, it looked a little better with Jakob Pertl, but if that was your feeling and that was how you operated the trade deadline, and then you go to July 1st and that's your thinking with Fred Van Vliet, well, A, why didn't you trade Fred Van Vliet at the trade deadline? Because there hasn't been, there wasn't much more new information, and certainly not new information about Fred Van Vliet. Shocker, he looked better offensively with a pick-and-roll partner. We didn't learn anything new about Fred in those last two months. So why did the perspective on his situation change? And then if you turn around and you've said, we're, okay, we did this at the trade deadline, put on the brakes, we're not going to re-sign Fred because it's not good enough, but then you also hear, well, they didn't really get very far on exploring Pascal Siakam trade uh, trade situations, Gary Trent trade situations. They re-upped Jakob Pertl, which they probably felt like they had to do because they gave up picks yeah, for him. Deal. But like they gave him like what they gave him a contract that I thought was above what he was going to get. Now market value is whatever you can get, but four years, seventy-eight million with some bonus upside for Jakob Pertl, they paid every dollar of the market value for him. So there is this misalignment of what Fred is saying their their perspective seemed like, how they operated on July 1st, and what they did the rest of the offseason, what they had done the trade deadline prior. And it strikes me, Will, that we're headed for this exact same situation with Pascal Siakam. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the thing. I mean, like, I, I can appreciate that the front office wants to move towards Scotty and the young guys. Do that's, it then. That's the direction. The thing is, I feel like they're unwillingly moving that direction. They're being dragged in that direction versus they're choosing and to, to roll the ball in that direction. Again, the trade deadline last year is uh, that inflection point that they really needed to take, and they totally missed the exit there. But also at the same time, like 
this is one of the issues when you have with trading expiring players. I'm sure when they were looking around and calling teams of like, hey, what would you give up for Fred Van Vliet? It seems like his time in Toronto is probably over. At last year's trade deadline, teams are probably calling just as paying rental prices versus like, hey, here's an acquisition price for me to get Fred Van Vliet, right? And of course, that would also be contingent on you need to call his representatives, talk to Clutch, be like, you know, are you willing to resign here? What's the price look like? I'm sure those discussions probably didn't happen to those large degree to the point where teams acquiring him would feel comfortable in getting him other than as a rental. That's why the trade offers were like Grayson Allen and some like like pick swaps or something. Like it, that's that's kind of nothing. Sure. Um, but, I mean, at the same time though, like that's where the front office has to make that decision even coming into that point. And right? there's also the the quote, and I'm paraphrasing here from Masai that you know those trade offers they didn't engage with at the trade deadline would still be there in the offseason, which to me said they think they could at least get something in sign and trade for Fred. And look, I know that, and there was more James Harden talking this weekend as well. I know there was a domino where everyone thought James Harden was re-upping with Philadelphia because Daryl Morey had allegedly promised him a max extension. And if not, or even if via sign and trade, he was headed to Houston as a, as a plan 1B. And nobody really had looked at, like, we. I think we talked a lot about Orlando as a potential spot to make a Fred play if they were ready to take the next step. We knew before the Beal stuff happened, we know Phoenix has always been high on him. Utah has yep. always been high on him. The Houston match and them having enough cap space to not require the bird rights or the sign-in trade and also being able to kind of tiptoe where they were still an attractive spot for a guy like Fred because, hey, we can bring in Dylan Brooks as well. And, you know, here are the young pieces that we have. That was... A bit of an unknown scenario, mm -hmm. but still, there is, to me, this misalignment of the way you have operated at the two different ends of the last calendar year and the way you operated with Fred in the middle. There's, yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that this Raptors team would be better paying Fred VanVleet $42 million right now versus Dennis Schroeder for $12 million. It's more that that particular situation highlights this like lack of cohesiveness mm -hmm in the strategy over the last calendar year. That's fair. Um, we have another clip here where Fred talked about his experience on the Raptors and him knowing that last year was kind of was, was it. I felt that from day one that it was just a great fit and um, I was excited. And No, it, it, it was never easy. Um, it was, you know, one of the most difficult decisions I've made, especially as a professional um, in my life. But uh, I think more than anything, it was just like, trying to look ahead and, and, you know, use a little foresight and have some vision about, you know, things that are going to happen down the line. And so I didn't want to be in a position where I was just signing a contract because the number was good and the contract was good. Um, I, I wanted to kind of position myself, you know, for whatever the second half of my career now as I'm going on my eighth year. So just kind of looking ahead and seeing, you know, what the writing was definitely on the wall. And um, once we got to that point where it's like, okay, they clearly, you know, are going in a different direction. Um, this is not the situation that I was brought into and kind of nurtured in and cultured in and won a championship in. This is a different environment that they're, you know, they have to kind of start over a little bit. Um, and I would just want it to be somewhere where I could be myself all the way through and not like have to try to fit into a box, you know what I mean? And um, I think it was, it was best for, for all parties. 
Yeah, I, I think it was best for both parties because obviously Houston's very, very happy with what they're getting on their front side of things. Yeah, Fred's fourth in the league in, in assists per game right now, and he has right. just this monstrous assist to turnover. Over nine assists a game and only a turnover and a half. It's, it's been great watching him too. He's uh, made a bunch of clutch shots for them as well in a lot of these big wins for them. Um, also, he's run a nice two-man game with Shingun, which I think has really helped him sort of emerge as well. Um, but I think more importantly, Fred actually talked about later on in the interview, he, he said the culture's already changed. Whether or not we make the playoffs this year, how many wins we got, the culture in Houston has already changed. You can definitely tell uh, when you watch the Rockets. But from the Toronto side of things, when when you hear him say that, and, and does that give you a little bit of trepidation in the sense that, like, the situation has changed? They want to start over with their culture? I mean, yeah. that's what they talked about, cultural shift, but, like... It is, and they use the term unselfishness, and, and you know, the... Uh, uh, to, <laughs> I did not enjoy watching this team play at the end of last year, and I get that, but I do, you know, I think Fred and Pascal being the guys who are held over, like, they were brought in during the DeMar Kyle, we keep running into this block in the playoffs era. And that was a culture that had been built by Dwayne Casey and DeMar and Kyle and JV. And, you know, that was a good culture, but there was obviously an on-court sticking point. And then at some point, yes, a psychological sticking point against the Cavaliers. Like game one, 2018, broke them all. And it was never, they were never coming back from it. Um, But they experienced that. And the type of leadership that Dwayne Casey provided from an organizational foundation level and the type of leadership that Kyle and DeMar provided, which, you know, Kyle obviously could be, you know, somewhat antagonistic, but also did a lot of stuff very quietly for guys to help them out. And DeMar was more of a, well, none of you are going to beat me to the gym, but you better show me that you're working and then I'll invest in you, that kind of thing. And then obviously the championship culture has to change a little bit because you, I mean, the goals have changed and, and the pressure has changed. You bring in a, player like Kawhi, who is not as much of a typical leader, but has this kind of weight to his superstardom and his personality. You also surround that with Danny Green and Marc Gasol and Serge at that point has grown into a leader and stuff where, you know, culturally, it's almost like the the Expendables movie where like everyone has just come together. Like all these guys just need to win a title and they're on the last year of their deal or sure, almost yeah, at the yeah. end of their deal, almost at the end of their career. Um, and then pivoting out of that, you know, with hey, what does a Nick Nurse culture look like when Kawhi's not there and and every single possession isn't the end of the world? And, you know, transitioning out of that, transitioning out of Kyle's leadership, you transitioned out of DeMar's leadership, you lost vets like Mark, Serge. um, And you would hope, and, and the way that good organizations stay relevant for a really long time is that all of that stuff would have stayed because of Nick, stayed because of Fred, stayed because of Pascal, stayed because of OG, and, and then those pieces that are then being added, you know, at least Malachi Flynn got the tail end of that culturally and things like that. And there has been too much erosion year over year, and as each piece goes away, you know, you hope that when Kyle leaves, say Kyle's imprint is left and the culture that he's helped build, that that's still there. But it seems with each Kyle, with each Mark, with each Danny, et cetera, Norm, um, uh, too much of that w- was eroded and didn't stick around. And I think that's probably what Fred's getting at a little bit there where he says, you know, culturally Houston made more sense for him and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. No, very few teams. We talked about the other day, the Warriors having three guys who have been there forever. Like that just doesn't happen no. really. So these things happen, but it is, you know, as the Raptors continue to search for here, I think off court they're, they're getting the off court, cultural kind of reset is well ahead of the on-court one. 
Um, but it's interesting to examine, especially as, you know, other teams who were behind the Raptors this time last year have managed to do that and take a further step on the court as well. Yeah. Um, and I think one way you can look at this too is just they have started to try to import culture. Let's bring in Thadia. Let's bring in Garrett Temple. And let's th- let those guys be some of the leaders of the team. In years past, you didn't really need to see that happen. Partially because they did have a better roster and also they had more veterans, but their veterans are also able to carry that forward. So pretty uh, purposeful change. Um, And then the last clip here, uh, just Fred talking about last season, he said, quote, it kind of felt like a job. So I felt that from day one that it was just a great fit. And um, I was excited. And I think that, you know, the first day was like, I had the the itch and the joy because last year was such a drag for us that, you know, whether it was coach going through stuff or different players here and there, like it was just such a drag, you know, to get through the season that um, it starts to feel like a job. And um, that was my first year kind of being unhappy playing basketball. And most of it was due to my own play. And I'll take credit for that. You know what I mean? I'll take responsibility for that. But at the same time, it just wasn't a great season of basketball for us. Um, and so getting that joy back was, was huge for me. Getting that joy back was huge for me. Um, this guy's Shawn Michaels. He lost his smile. Yo. Alex uh, will get that reference. I know you will. Yeah, I, I, he's just sitting there in the corner enjoying this. But, um, yeah, what did you make of that? Because, yeah, he, he talked about a lot of things that we kind of already kind of understood that yeah. Nick was going through stuff, the team was going through stuff. It just wasn't that uh, happy of an environment. I, I think it obviously just kind of gets confirmed when it's sort of spoken yeah. like this. But your thoughts on Fred's experience with the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sad to hear because obviously you want guys to enjoy being here, playing here, enjoy the city, enjoy the fan base. That's certainly something I don't think Fred was doing by the end. Um, now, there is also an element of, yeah, that's what the money's for. Like, you get paid really well and you got to cash in after the offseason, so can't feel too badly for you. But I think that, you know, big picture, you want your organization, even in a 500 season, to be somewhere that people can find themselves and be true to themselves and enjoy themselves. Um, so, you know, that that's something that, you know, maybe Darko's more personal style of leadership is going to help usher back in where guys are comfortable here and having fun here. Um, the truth, though, is, as you and I have talked about a lot, winning is fun and losing is not fun. And a lot of what Nick Nurse felt, Masai felt, Scotty felt, Fred felt, et cetera, probably is a lot different if they win four or five more games last year and they're out of the play-in and they get an actual playoff series. And even if they don't win, like yeah. that, like the on-court slog is still there, but if they win an extra game every couple weeks and they're a little higher in the standings and they make the playoffs, it, it's just the margins are that small sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Um, I, I like that our official reviews on record reviews of, of last year's Raptors, the 2021, 2022 Raptors or 2022, 2023 Raptors. Are from Masai, quote, I did not enjoy watching this team. From Nick Nurse, good luck with these guys. And from Fred VanVleet, it felt like a job. <laughs> like, damn, okay, all right. Oh, man, I yeah. hope the season is not like that. But uh, as you mentioned, a lot of that is tied to uh, the wins and losses. But, yeah, we could go check out the, the Woj pod with Fred. Yeah, um, I understand a little bit why, uh, why I didn't get a text back about coming on our show. It's because he had the Woj pod <laughs> lined up. Uh, I guess that's a, a bigger show, a bigger audience. I don't know. Did Woj have Adam Silver on, Fred? I don't know. Ooh. I mean, I'm sure Woj has gone on, or <laughs> Adam has gone on Woj's pod. But I'm I think, sure he has. I think Fred has done our pod, like, at least twice, if okay. not three times. I think he even did it once when I was at Yahoo, so. Nice. 
just a fried man. Very accessible to media, except for last year, which uh, similar situation. He, he rejected a lot of invites to come on the show. But it turns out they were all miserable, so I totally understand why there was so uh, little willingness to, to come on the show. All right. uh, last item? I got a couple quick hits here. Okay, um, gotcha. I mean, we, we, if there's leftover Nick stuff, we can get to it later. Okay, uh, yeah, I sure. know you've got a, a giveaway to do here. Yep. Um, there is a, a Leafs jersey hanging behind me uh, because we forgot to change it over before the show, but also uh, as a little nod, I guess, to my family. So I was home this weekend with family, yeah. most of the Newfie side of the family, and I, I got the the annual when are you going to cover hockey instead or, oh. or why don't you cover hockey instead? So there's a little Leaf jersey for, for those people. Gotcha. Speaking of jerseys, though, yeah, I wasn't in town. You guys had a, a little get-together on the weekend. Alex yeah. had an event at In Vintage we trust, and everyone was kind of wearing throwback gear. I saw sure. Ali Khan from the Jays in a throwback purple, uh, the purple and black Raptors jersey. It was the Hakeem. Yeah. It was the Hakeem wow. from the washed Hakeem versus washed Patrick Ewing. Amazing. Uh, meme, you know, where Hakeem is on the Raptors and, yeah. and Ewing is on the Magic, Oof. and they're posting each other up. Yikes. To what avail? There was a jersey at that event, though, that I have to ask you guys for a ruling on. Okay. Faisal Kamisa, friend of the show. Yeah. Rolled up. Yeah. In a Faisal Kamisa jersey. Yeah. Is wearing your own jersey, uh, like, is that a foul? Is that is there some swag to that, or is that a foul? Because it, uh, it struck me. I, I saw in one of the pictures, Camisa on the back, and I was uh -huh. like, well, maybe that's, like, maybe Alex is doing a bit and wearing one of the jerseys he collects from Bourne and everyone else. Yeah, that's and right. then, no, I saw another picture, and Faisal's wearing the Faisal Camisa jersey. Where do you guys weigh in on this? I think, um, I, I think it depends on what you have done in your career. You know, like if Kawhi wanted to walk around in Toronto with the Kawhi Leonard two jersey, I, I would worship the ground he stands on. It, it was free. Stand. Why wouldn't I wear it? He's like, I got this from work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I'm totally in on it. But Alex has tapped in apparently. So what what's your thoughts on this? <clears throat> yeah, good afternoon, guys. Um, you know what? We can only ask one person. Let's let me try to see if Faisal Kamisa is available. Oh, really? To kind of explain the story behind the jersey. Okay. So maybe we'll we'll try to we'll try to get him to tap in in the second hour. Oh, okay. A nice Let me work teaser. On that. Let me work. Well, you on know, Faisal's that. always available to hit OMP. <laughs> He's Anytime. literally thirty meters away. Any any place. Um. So yeah. It, uh, you know, it was a really fun event though, and it was great to uh, launch prehistoric for the twentieth time. <laughs> but uh, before we go to this break, I want to tell you that this Wednesday, December sixth, the Toronto Raptors will face off against the Miami Heat at seven thirty p.m at Scotiabank Arena. Here's your chance to win tickets to check out the action. To enter for a chance to win two tickets, text Friday's code word OG, just two letters O and G, to 590-590. Again, today's code word is OG. Text us into 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to Wednesday's game. If you don't win with us, you can always secure your tickets to Wednesday's game at Ticketmaster. That's it. It's going to be a really good one, man. Um, Kyle Lowry, the Heat, coming into town, playing pretty well. Jame Hawkes Jr., uh, the rookie, looking really solid. So it'll be an exciting one. But we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy, who I have a hot, piping hot French press coffee ready for uh, Mr. Murphy. But uh, we are also joined in segment two by one of my favorite people in the basketball game, just period. 
uh, Tass Mellis of No Dunks. What's going on, Tass? How you doing? Well, Blakey, it's great to hear from you. It's great to see you pressing that French press live in front of me. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me you, you press, press it. Ha- yeah. You press it halfway down, and you pull it back up. Hey, that's your technique. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's not the proper way to do it, but I don't know. I just like seeing, right. I like seeing the snow globe of the, uh, the coffee grinds fall down. Blake, please take over. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> Will's trying to create uh, a brand identity for Big Head Coffee, yeah, and uh, he's right. still yeah. working on the finer points. Uh, Tass, in addition to being uh, a host of No Dunks, you're also the host of No Bunts sometimes in the offseason. So before we do basketball, I got to check in with you, man. How are you uh, enjoying or how anxious are you with the Blue Jays Otani watch here? Oh, I am extremely, extremely excited. It has to happen. It feels like <laughs> all this conversation, it, it feels like it has to happen just to give Blue Jays fans a little something to be excited about. But they're, they are up against the Dodgers and the Cubs. I mean, these are teams that have been rumored to be wanting uh, Shohei Otani as well. And Los Angeles didn't pay anybody last offseason to give Shohei a ton of money. So I'm super excited. But I, I to be realistic, Blake, I don't think it's going to happen unless the Dodgers or Cubs make some sort of mistake where they say, okay, you've had the surgery. Uh, we'll give you this much money if you're going to be a hitter and we'll give you a bonus uh, if you're going to be a pitcher. And maybe another team comes along and guarantees both pitcher and hitter money. Like the Blue Jays, I, that would be the only way I think it happens if the other teams make a mistake. But still excited for this possibility. Yeah, it's nice to even be able to uh, to dream on it. And then, hey, as a backup dream scenario, you could trade for Juan Soto too. And uh, yeah, there. This is like this is the stuff that Lakers fans would do constantly if the NBA didn't have a salary cap. So, oh yeah, the Photoshop. Where, where the Jays are in the Photoshop era. No, yeah. it's, it's it's funny, Taz, because. The Raptors are so mid. We've we've pivoted. <laughs> we've pivoted to to hoping on other free agents. You know, we used to hope for like, I, I guess what Kawhi to stay, but now it's like, no, maybe we we'll get we'll get Shohei. But yeah, would be exciting. You got to move back if you come. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's it's strange. I'm in Atlanta, and I'm excited about the Raptors being mid uh, because you guys have to have to talk about it daily. Uh, that's, that's I get right. to talk about it whenever I want. Um, so I'm excited about the the mid rappers to be completely honest. Uh, and everybody comes on and says, that's ridiculous, man. Uh, they got, they got worse this off season, but really in my eyes, they got better. Yeah. Okay. Wait, hold on. Let me, let yeah. me hear about your perspective in that sense, because like, what? it's, it's still not super exciting to watch, but also at the same time, like I've, maybe we're just all holding on to like playoff, like every year, 50 plus wins, yeah. everything's gonna be great no matter what. And we're kind of just like not used to them being kind of just okay. Yeah, it combined with the Blue Jays, just not even. Oh come on! Yeah, having having a playoff win, but yeah, the the fact that the Raptors didn't go all in on Fred VanVleet to be, uh, to be the guy at, at the point guard spot, I think that was at least it leaves the the future mm-hmm. open here to see what happens uh, with the big three of Barnes and. and and who the who the heck knows what happens this offseason? Yeah, I was gonna say big three. I was like, big. That's big one. Yeah. It's a big one. That's a big one. But OG and Pascal yeah. are they're thrown in there sure. uh, at this point. But uh, at least they didn't buy into to something that wasn't gonna work out. That we saw what happened last year with with Fred being who he was, and to go long term with Fred, it was gonna be a 500 team. I think at least they've they've opened the doors for a potential future here. 
So we'll pivot here to uh, another team that is in a similar spot, but certainly a worse spot. And I know you guys did winners and losers of the weekend, as you always do. Oddly, a bit of a loser, despite winning two in a row, is the Chicago Bulls, who, uh, you know, have also reinvested in being a roughly 500, a a play-in-ish core. They won those two games without Zach Levine, who remains out for a little bit here. Um, always awkward when the Ewing theory kicks in, you play a little better without your best player. Uh, not suggesting that here, but the Bulls are in a bit of a, a weird spot here. We're still too early task for trade season proper, but where, what do you make of where the Bulls are and Zach Levine's kind of future or lack thereof within that? Yeah, the Bulls are lacking right now. Their dreams are to be a 500 Raptors team. <laughs> I think that's the, that's all they could possibly be. They did start the Zach Levine era with uh, Alonzo Ball at the point guard spot, and things were looking good uh, in that first run. But now this current era, it is very strange to see Zach Levine not playing that motivated, not being that excited when he's out there to be that number one guy. Uh, we are too far away to say that no team is willing to pay for him. I think all this talk that we're hearing right now that every team's offer for him ain't all that much is really just other teams hoping that they can work the bulls down a little bit. But I think teams will be willing to give up a a lot for Zach Levine. And I think, you know, when we look at past years, like the Donovan Mitchell uh, rumors and all that, Zach Levine may be the best player to be dealt uh, in the next few months. And so I, I think all these, the rumors are just just trying to tell Karnishvis and the front office there, uh, don't make us pay that much. But I think in the end, they will, because I don't think there will be too many other players uh, that will, will be available in the league. Yeah. I, I feel like Zach might be a little undervalued. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's a guy who creates a lot of his own offense at a pretty high volume at like a true shooting of well over 60% most seasons. Good three-point shooter. And I think, you yeah. know, Tass, you're right. This is... You know, teams trying to make sure the price is suitably low. And there is a lot of contract left on Zach Levine. But still, this is the time of year where, you know, oh, who are these leaks coming from? What purpose might they serve? Yeah, Yeah, it's probably the teams who might have interest in Zach Levine who are like, ah, he's publicly, he's not that good. Let's get that asking price down. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, that lot of money that he's being paid is a lot of money. It's it, it he sure. he does he's 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 a guy who's extremely efficient when playing his game, but he has to be around certain type of guys. So he has to be traded by a team that has complementary guys that play D. Yeah. Uh that can can be uh point guards that create other offense. Sacavine is a, a great scorer, but that's what he is and uh he needs he needs certain types of guys like the the Lonzo Ball that made it work like the point guards that are going to give up uh, all of their energy to play defense for him. So I think it has to be a, a, a certain type of team that has like great defenders already. Like if he, if I, I know this is, this is really shoving it in here, but if he was available for the reps to play along with uh, a Schroeder and an OG and that type of thing, he would fit better just because of, sure. of who yeah. they have around him. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, I, I do feel like essentially like, Maybe even three years ago, like stars were just automatically traded for like minimum two, three first round picks and then some expiring salaries. Like that's like the going price. Uh, and then now you see like what Bradley Beal went for for Houston or for, for Phoenix over the summer. And it's like this is kind of similar to that. I mean, I know Zach is younger, but 
maybe even similar-ish type of players. Um, yeah, some other winners and losers over the weekend. So the Mavericks go on a 30 to nothing <laughs> run, and then they still lose to to OKC. I mean, what do you make of it? Because I actually feel like the Mavericks, they kind of feel pretty good about it just because, like, the overall team this year just, like, clicks so much better than it was uh, last year. I know I know they're, they came back, they're, they're, their uh, comeback fell short, but what are your thoughts on the Mavericks right now? Well, the Mavs are buying into playing a different way this year. They are playing extremely fast, and uh, instead of just you know, moving into a Luka offense where it's just like 24 seconds of Luka handling the ball – they're a fast-paced team, so I think they are just trying to to buy in, um, and they have uh, Derek Lively at the center spot, which Luca is using to his strength. Uh, that that weird Saturday night game. I'm glad there was a great Saturday night game because there's no Sunday NBA games because they're getting ready for this tournament. But sa- that Saturday night game, that was everything. That mm-hmm. was that was so so good. They didn't have Kyrie Irving in that game, uh, so for them to be down one eleven eighty seven early in that fourth quarter and then come back and take the lead. And then all of a sudden, for me, it was the Chet Holmgren show watching at the end. He was so great. He blocked a shot, and then he had to guard Seth Curry at the three-point line. Seth Curry got to the rim, and Chet just trailed him the entire way and was able to alter the shot. Uh, Then he had a dunk at the other end on a missed shot. Then he came back, blocked another shot. He had four blocks. And uh, I mentioned Derek Lively. Even though Derek Lively dunked on his face, Earlier on in the game, Chet was so good to to fight back, uh, and uh, he was phenomenal. And then Shea stole the ball um, to to seal it uh, for OKC to come back. But I do believe in in the Mavericks a little bit in that uh, they have a big and lively who can play, and they're they're starting to to buy into Jason Kidd's let's run type thing. And uh, they're they're still looking for a little bit more support uh, around um, Luca and Kyrie, but at the same time. The West is tough, um, so I think I think they are moving up. Uh, but a team like OKC, I, I think, will be a, a more difficult team to play against because they have so many great defenders and so many great uh, offensive players. Like I mentioned, Chet, but he's he's probably the fourth best offensive guy on the on this team. Like he, with Shea and Jalen Williams and, and Josh Giddy, uh, Chet just has his role. That's yep defined extremely well and he doesn't have to try too hard but in this game uh he really did seal it uh for okc yeah uh my favorite thing about okc right now they have 11 players with a true shooting percentage above 60 11 11 players you've got davis going with the perfect shooting line in that one 15 points in 11 minutes yeah that that helped when even the guy you picked up because he was quote unquote the worst contract in the league uh is chipping in over a point a minute on perfect shooting off the bench things are clicking for you yeah case of wallace hasn't missed a shot all year his shooting is 73 percent as a guard (laughs) how how (laughs) i love that guy uh if he if he had to do more i I would love to see him on a team where he played more and had more of a role they they are stacked is that is that a mistake? Ten guys over sixty percent. It's actually I mean, eleven. I mean, look, there's there's 11? a couple of what? players like Lindy Waters has played sixty two minutes. Trey Mann has played forty seven. Olivier Saar, my favorite right back <laughs> at uh, Aston Villa, <laughs> has fifty four minutes played. Davis Bertans, uh, fifty seven minutes played. So like you know, like there's four guys in there that are like you know obviously low minutes, but that still leaves them with seven full time rotation players with a true shooting of over sixty. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Two over 70 right now. 
By the way, uh, just to, to close the note on true shooting and the, the thunder there, uh, Pokashevsky over his three G League seasons has a true shooting percentage of 40%. So I uh, don't expect him to oh, be okay. added to that list anytime soon. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, Big Skeets has been struggling down there. For a <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tass, I got one more you, for you for the from the weekend. Uh, Mikhail Bridges has this monster 42-point outburst in a Nets win. He's averaging 23-6-4. Another guy who's close, Will, to the 60% true shooting mark. He's doing this on 27% usage rate. Prior to the trade last year, he was under 20% usage. So he's gone from, you know, about an average player in terms of offensive role to taking on, you know, what would normally be about a, a 1B or high number two mm -hmm. yeah. usage rate. And he's done so, so efficiently. What do you think we can learn from Mikhail Bridges' situation where a new start like that, you know, I, it did never seemed like he was unhappy or a poor fit in Phoenix. He was just a very good role player, but he's able been able to very quickly grow beyond very good role player in Brooklyn. Yeah, I was wondering what he would become after the trade, and he was unleashed after the trade. And I think he has to go back to that guy he was in the second half of last season. They've actually limited him a little bit more this season. Like you mentioned that 26 uh, percent usage rate he was at 30 last year and he was a machine and he was extremely efficient he's shooting a little less this season they're they're employing a, a few different things well ben simmons is was <laughs> playing for a uh, first time uh, starting with him he, he didn't play with him at the second half last season they're unleashing cam thomas off the bench so i, I don't think they're going uh to mikhail bridges enough because he is an extremely great player period uh, I, I was I was surprised. I, I didn't know if the, that trade was going to work out for them uh, in the way that they thought. Uh, but he was scoring 26 points per game last year uh, after he got dealt. He's so long, so big. He can get to his spots on the floor and just let it rip. I guess uh, he learned some things from watching Kevin Durant. I don't know, but he is. Uh, he's 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 only had a couple forty point games this season, and his points per game uh, has dropped. He needs to to get more going. I think that's what Jock Vaughn, now that Ben Simmons is out for long term, is just going to go to. Uh, I, it's it's miraculous how how good he is going from yeah he was the third option at, at times b below Dem Booker and Chris Paul, but this dude is yeah he. Yeah, I thought he would be an all star for sure this season, and if he's going to continue to play like that, he will be. But it didn't start that way uh, this season. It's it's been a bit of a strange start with Brooklyn with with Ben Simmons out, head coach Shock Vaughn saying, "Ah, no, he's fine. His back's fine." Uh, but he is he's out long term. Uh, he hasn't oh, yeah. played uh, for a full month. The back injury is the same injury he's had the last couple of years. Yeah, your your, your back's always fine when you get an apodoro. You know, it's just this is the everyday thing. You just get an epidural for your back because you're fine. Um, no, but I actually do think that that, that does help them with their spacing as well. It's funny with Mikel Bridges, this too, is just like um, sometimes I, I watch it and I'm like, okay, players I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, if they can get to this point where they can score 26 and a quarter, outscore a winning team in the Magic who had been on a great run um, by himself in a quarter, it's like they got to have some go-to moves or like they're like deadly in these one or two spots. And I Something about Mikel Bridges, I'm like, I feel like he's like kind of good across the board, but I wouldn't say he has like a killer go-to move that no one can get to. It doesn't have the the hang pull that that Katie has, for example, anything like that. But he's still able to score at that high of a level. I think it kind of speaks to um, just how well balanced his game is, but also the offensive environment in the NBA in general. But uh, speaking of the NBA, in-season tournament begins tonight. Um, yeah, your thoughts: Boston at Indiana, uh, New Orleans at Sacramento. 
Well, I'm excited like everybody else. Um, I, th I think they've done well painting the 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 every single floor out there different colors. Uh, <laughs> Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, they're all into it. It's helped. It this really is what helped. generations are into? I didn't know. Yeah, they are. They're into basketball mattering in November uh, before Christmas. And uh, I, I, th I think it's gotten everybody excited. I wonder what, what's going to happen with Boston and the Pacers. Uh, because Halliburton did miss his last game. Um, on Saturday, upper respiratory infection, not a lower respiratory infection, just an upper respiratory gotcha. infection. But he's, he's questionable for tonight. And uh, it, it's such a, it's such a unique team with how many guys uh, are, are operating around Halliburton, how great they are offensively. And I wonder if it's just ideal for the in-season tournament fan base because that defense is going to allow a lot of points. Uh, so Boston's going to put up some points tonight. Uh, no matter who they're playing, but the Pacers, uh, I think, are going to give them a tough road here because when Halliburton was out on Saturday, they found their way. They looked like the mm -hmm. team with Halliburton. They had four guys score 20 points, uh, and that's uh, that's tough to do, and they were able to do that. So uh, I, I still like Boston in that game, but uh, I'm excited for that game. I'm excited for the Pels and the Kings because the Kings ain't all that big, and the Pels are, and, and they do they do use that to their advantage, so I think they right. should be able to uh, to deal with Sacramento. They've already beat them twice this year, uh, but the Kings, the Kings are a great home team. Yeah, it'll be a nice clash of styles. Um, yeah, that we've we've officially now had Skeets, Trey, you, Tass, and uh, Black Dragon roll on this season already. So I think we need to get JD at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll 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 let you know if we need to get JD. But uh, appreciate you, Tass, and uh, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for your time. Appreciate you guys doing what you do. All right. Okay. We're going to take another break. Been your host, Will. We've been listening to the Raptor Show and the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will look at the most desperate teams in the league with Michael Pena. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Loom, trying out a radio host uh, voice for once. Uh, continue to be joined by producer and co-host, not producer and co-host, sorry, just co-host Blake Murphy. I, I got to just read the rundown. And uh, we are joined on the line by friend of the program, Michael Pena of The Ringer. What's up, man? How you doing? How you doing, Will? We, How you we, doing, Blake? Good, man. We're, we're doing well. We're doing well. So we were thinking about um, what we were going to talk about today. And I was going through your, your Twitter timeline. Everyone go follow Michael. Um, you just search his name, you'll find it. But um, you had a tweet in there where you shared a clip of Bobby Mark saying that he wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Pistons were to jump into the Zach Levine sweepstakes. And you said, you know, I think he wanted to see if Ivy could be procured in favor, you know, going to Chicago. I think that would fit. They definitely need a, a point guard long-term. Ivy was a high pick last year, fifth overall, had some pretty promising moments. And then I just thought about it. And I was like, wait a second. Why are the Pistons even considering doing this? They got to be so desperate. And that got me to the point where I was like, what are the most desperate teams in the NBA? So we'll start there uh, with you, Michael. We have ours. We've already uh, locked in our picks. But I'm curious to see what you picked as, you know, one of the most desperate teams in the league right now. 
I think it's the Golden State Warriors for Ooh, me. I like this. Okay. So since they beat the Pistons on November 6th, which was about a month ago, they're uh -huh. three and nine Ooh. with the 23rd best offense, 20th defense, net rating minus 3.3 points per 100 possessions. They are the only team in the Western Conference this season that has not won a game when trailing at halftime. They're 0-7 when that happens. They are minus 11 with Steph Curry on the court this season. Oh just, that's God. just overall. And they're plus 18 when Curry sits. Um, the Steph, Clay, Draymond trio, they're just, they're getting killed when those three guys are on the court together. Gary Payton, the second, Torres calf. Chris Ball has nerve damage. Um, they're just not, you know, they blew that game against the Clippers over the weekend. They, uh, had another heartbreaker a couple days ago or a few days before that against the Kings. Uh, Steve Kerr said that his team was not in a free-for-all, which is really not what you want to hear your head coach say um, in December in a presser. So they are in a really – I mean, they're in a uh, – they're, they're, de they're desperate to me because they have championship aspirations and Steph Curry is um, still amazing uh, individually. And so I just feel like something has to happen for this team right now and – I think every single player except Curry should be, you know, they should be taking calls about every single, like no one is, there's no, no one's off the table except Curry. I think that it's all hands on deck for them and anything could happen. Bad. You're in a bad way when the, the brightest spot of your season so far is Brandon Pojemski and he looks like the Gen Z uh, Mad Men meme of of John Hamm with the curly uh, hair on top. He is the plus minus god okay. so far this season, though. They've been, they've had monster great. plus minus whenever he's out there. Um, Michael, flowing off of this, I, I agree that they're a desperate team. They're a desperate team because they're playing poorly, because their core is 35, 33, and 33. They've got all yes. this money still outlaid to Steph and Draymond and a huge kind of franchise and fan base altering decision with clay coming at the end of this year. Um, my, my question for you that flows from this is they are in this desperate situation in part because of the economics of continuing to reinvest in this core that you believe in. and You don't want to break up because it has so much equity with the franchise is the answer to this to peel off of that. And, you know, salary cap wise, you have to move something out to, to get something. What is the answer and how uncomfortable these conversations ha have to get for the Warriors? I mean, it's a really, it's a great question. I don't know what those, I mean, Clay and Draymond, I don't know what their value is on the trade market. So if you're trying to improve as an organization, like Clay is on a big money expiring contract, I don't know who's going to take that, what the value is there. Draymond just signed an extension and I mean, but, you know, he hit like four threes in the first quarter against the Clippers the other day. But otherwise, outside of that ecosystem, I wouldn't be really trying to take on Draymond Green at this point in his career. Um, still a really great defensive presence, but away from Steph Curry, away from just the Splash Brothers and Steve Kerr. And um, yeah, that's a big risk at that money. So for me, it's like you kind of just got to double down. And in the process, like the way I would just spin it is we're doubling down on Steph and cause he's the oldest one of the bunch. And I would be willing to move Kaminga, Moody, um, the plus minus God, Pajimski, <laughs> like anyone with draft equity, uh, because as long as Steph is this good, 
he's kind of the reason that all of this has happened, this dynasty, um, this historic run. And they kind of owe it to him above anybody else to stay in contention, I think. And so that's the guy I would um, still be trying to build around because so long as he's on your team and he's playing this well, um, you technically have a shot. And so that's kind of what I'd be thinking about. But like Wiggins, like what can we get for Wiggins? That Those are more of the players that I'd be willing to or I think could get get me something on the market, even though Wiggins has been absolutely terrible this season. Well, Will, let, let's pivot there. And a team that I think you're going to pick for your most desperate uh, has a piece that a lot of these contending and more desperate teams are probably going to get into a mini bidding war over in Bojan Bogdanovic. Are the desperate Pistons desperate enough to sell off of him? Or are you thinking they're desperate they got to add? Oh, they're so desperate they might add. That's the thing. Um, yeah, Bogdanovich obviously would be a nice addition to most contenders. I don't think he starts most places, to be honest, uh, even though he is still a, a really, really good shooter, but he's just older. You know, I feel like for a contender, he's probably more off the bench piece. I thought you were going to s- pivot into his boss trying to trade Pascal for uh, <laughs> Kaminga and Wiggins. No, that's made a lot of the rounds here. People angry. They're like, how come every time we trade for a Canadian, it's never Shea and it's always Wiggins? <laughs> I'm sorry, Shea is not available for trade unless you have basically Wemby to trade or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the Pistons are the one that I picked for most desperate, mostly because I was looking at the tweet and I was like, let me look more at the Pistons. So they're also on pace for the worst record in the history of the NBA. So it's not like you're making a far oh, yeah. reach here that they're, they might be desperate to win 15 games. So they're two and 18. As you mentioned, that is on pace for less than 15, uh, wins on the season. <laughs> Way less. Uh, their last five seasons for the Pistons in terms of win total, 20, 20. 23, and then 17. So they're averaging a straight 20 across four seasons of wins. Uh, In the last calendar year, we've brought this up a couple times. They've had three separate 11-game-plus losing streaks in the uh, calendar year. They're on a current 17-game losing streak. Their top win shares player, and whatever, win shares is like, it's hard to get a win share when you only have two wins. Uh, (laughs) But the top win shares player on the Pistons is Marvin Bagley the third. Which is uh, was I was Yikes. I was I was shocked by that one. I looked up uh, just because I'm a sicko. The Pistons crunch time. Uh, oh no, numbers. So have they even been in crunch time? Like have they had a game plus minus five minutes? This is the thing for the Pistons. They've actually been in some close games, and largely speaking, they've lost all of them. So uh, in games that have come down to within five points in the last five minutes, that's happened ten times within the season. They're one and nine in those ten games. The Pistons' offensive rating in crunch time. Um, I, this is already in the rundown for me and Blake, so I just want you to, you know, uh, Michael, to, to potentially guess. Um, what do you think the Pistons' offensive rating is in crunch time this year? I cheated and just looked it up, but okay. I'm flabbergasted at this number. It, it's, um, it's, it's 61, which <laughs> 61, I just, I, I, it's unbelievable. But when you also break down, okay, what does 61 look like in offensive rating? Because, like, typical offensive rating nowadays is like 115 in that range. So we're talking about half that. When you look at the raw percentages, they're 20% from the field, including 15% from three in crunch time. How is that even possible is, is my question. Um, then I looked it up. This one we have a harder time looking up. So I was thinking back in the last five years. Okay, who is the Pistons' leading scorer in the last five seasons? Because I feel like you can kind of do this exercise with pretty much any team in the league and figure out who it is. Uh, Michael, do you, do you, would you want to guess at who the Pistons' leading scorer in the last five years is? Wow. Um, like Alec Burks. That's a good guess, but 
But no, <laughs> another wing player. That is, I, well, I guess he's no longer on the team, but was with the team for a long uh, time. Jer- Jeremy Grant. That's great. That's a great guess. That's number two, which I was wow. quite surprised that Jeremy Grant was on there. Uh, it's Sadiq Bay at 2,900 points. Is, wow. is their leading scorer for the last five years. They traded Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman last year. James Wiseman, despite being number two overall pick, is uh, playing 11 minutes per game for them. And is their fifth string center. I'm not even kidding. Uh, and then... I was thinking back on this more and more, and I was like, wait, I, I think I saw one tweet, because like, I'm curious in terms of like, okay, what is the human experience of going through a 20, 20, 23, 17 uh, stretch you know, of wins and then going to watch a 61 offensive rating? What's the human experience, especially for someone who's covering the team? So I, I found this person uh, named Ku. They're the host of Locked On Pistons, who provides daily coverage for the Pistons. And he had a tweet. This is a... Four days ago, he said, trade Killian for Chetty or McDermott. Trade Wiseman in a second for Gallinari. Burks in a second for Kennard. I try to get Pat Will slash Drummond from the P- Chicago. Probably would go after Jeremy aggressively now. Uh, touch base with Utah and Laurie. Check in on Rui. Watch for THJ. Now, obviously, some of the names later on that list were getting better. But when, when he said and started with, let's hope to get Chetty Let's hope to get Gallinari. Let's hope to get Kennard. And I think this is in earnest. I don't think this is sarcastic. That just broke my heart because I'm like, damn, this is this is really tough. Look, that's the a shopping list should not start with those guys. Asking for Danilo Gallinari and Andre Drummond, I had to double check if this tweet was from 2018. Yeah, no, it's from no, November 30th, 2023. I think they 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 lost their 17th game or 16th game. <laughs> Michael, where are you at on the Pistons, man? Uh, they're terrible. Um. <laughs> I feel bad mostly for uh, Cade Cunningham. I I love Cade Cunningham. I did a story on him as rookie season. And just the, you know, you talk about 2018, like their offense and just their lineups that Monty Williams was throwing out there. It's like 2007, like starting Jalen Dern and Isaiah Stewart still in the front court. Um, The spacing is atrocious. He turns the ball over a ton. Some of that's on him. Some of it's just on he has no room to operate, and he runs a ton of pick and roll, and he plays in a crowd constantly. He gets blitzed. He gets two guys thrown at him all the time um, and doesn't really have any reason to trust his teammates at this point either. So I feel bad for Cade. I think they've just done a disservice to him. It's a basketball crime, Um, and I think that they are one of, if not the most dysfunctional organizations in basketball top down and to hire Monty Williams um, with this roster, given their age and experience level and expectations just never made any sense. Um, forget about how much money he's being paid. It never made any sense to bring him in. And you see that with that, that is reflected by how he's kind of treated someone like Jaden Ivey whose confidence must be in the gutter right now or as low as it's been since he started playing basketball, um, where he's just kind of getting yanked around the rotation and in and out of it. And I don't know. They're just, they're abysmal. Um, You'd love to see them try to, I mean, Isaiah Livers is like an okay three-point shooter and he's indispensable on this team right now, which kind of speaks or just kind of says it all um, offensively. And, uh, you know, they foul and they commit by far the most fouls in the NBA. Like it's not even the margin isn't even like close to who is in second. And uh, yeah, so they're just 
atrocious right now, and I don't see a path to getting out of where they are anytime soon beyond like Asar Thompson suddenly shooting the ball like vintage Clay Thompson and uh, without losing any of his athleticism. Like, I don't, I don't know what they do. And, and Asar Thompson, who has been by far their biggest bright spot this year, has lost his starting job and the last couple games has played barely any minutes relative to what he was doing before. Now, he didn't play particularly well in those games, but when you have a high-performing rookie who's been basically the only guy trying to keep up with Cade in terms of having some semblance of competitiveness and you yank him from the starting lineup while he's averaging almost a double-double, I, uh, I don't get what the plan is there. And, and I do wonder if, you know, Will, if they're not desperate to add, if they are a different kind of desperate, whatever that looks like, if, you know, they need to trade Bojan like yesterday so that he's not taking 30 minutes a game from you know, yeah. this prayer that some of these guys develop, like Marcus Sasser can be a bench guard, fingers crossed, because mm-hmm. that's what their hopes look like right now. I mean, I think it's just prudent, but also at the same time, like, you know, we, we talked about it in the first segment where Fred talked about, you know, his decision to leave Toronto and go to Houston, which again, you were one of the first, if not the first person to bring that up. So we always got to give you your flowers on that one. <laughs> that was like January. You called that last, uh, uh last year uh, on the show, but, um, you know, Fred talked about sort of the culture changing in Toronto and also wanted to change the culture in Houston. And that's so much of, like, what Ime was brought into Houston to do was to bring in that toughness, you know, uh, trash talk LeBron to his face, which is kind of kind of sick, to be honest. Uh, but also you need someone on the court to help you sort of extend that culture. And I do think that, like, no matter what happens the season with the Pist- or with the, the Rockets, their culture has changed. You take them much more seriously. They take basketball much more seriously. I think they wanted to do the same thing with Monty Williams coming in, but they didn't bring anybody into terms of like talent veterans who have won in, in situations into their team and you can't just pay the coach a mid-level and expect him to change the whole team like that's really not what's going to happen especially since he's kind of just floundering and kind of just changing lineups at will so just seems like a miserable situation all around Blake what's your what's your down bad team in the NBA right now so you mentioned the Pistons are one and nine when they get into crunch time scenarios they are they only have two wins overall uh, the one team that they beat in a crunch time scenario was the Chicago Bulls. Oh. And the Chicago Bulls kind of kick-started this conversation as well because yes. Bobby Marks speculated that uh, Zach Levine, you know, maybe they they kicked the tires on that. I look at this Bulls team. They are, you know, a worse version of, of what the Raptors have done here in running back a, a 500-ish team a couple times because the Bulls are older. They don't have a Scotty Barnes. They haven't been... I, I know they won the play-in uh, matchup last year, but they haven't been... Uh, particularly strong. They they have one winning season in the last like seven years. And the one draft piece that they have to show for that is Patrick Williams, who at, as the number four pick, you know, could not work out a rookie scale extension, got yanked from the starting lineup for a while. There has been very, very up and down. And because they've continued to reinvest in these pieces, I don't think they're headed for, if they do sell a jazz and OKC style restocking of the cupboards. I think you are, you know, we talked about Zach Levine's, you know, price, the, the salary that he still carries. Nikola Vucevic, who they just re-upped this offseason. Uh, DeMar, who a lot of teams would really like to have, I'm sure, but has a large enough salary that a trade is complicated. Their best trade asset is actually Alex Caruso, who, by the way, just got hurt on Saturday. So I see this team as, you know, one of the only teams in the league that doesn't have a clear we're winning now or we're on the upswing or a tanking. And and I don't really see 
the path to being con- competitors, and I don't really see an, a, a path to retooling that isn't a, a really, really long-term one. Now, I guess the one thing that could change that, Michael, you tweeted the other day about maybe being back on Patrick Williams Island. Give me the, give me the elevator pitch for not being out on Williams at this point. I saw like a sick crossover dribble and I just had to get the tweet off. Um, no, he's been, you know, a relative to what he was earlier in the season when it was just, um, I think it was DeMar who had a buzzer beater or Caruso had a buzzer beater for a win, walk off win. Um, and there was like footage of Patrick Williams, just not celebrating with his teammates and just the completely out of it. Yeah. I think. I think it was against the Raptors. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, and to go from there to the last four, five, six games, you know, I've actually been watching the bulls for some sick reason. And he's been like super aggressive, like going downhill, attacking the basket. Um, his defense against Zion, his defense against Giannis in their last two wins was actually like pretty relatively solid. Um, and you saw just glimpses of the fact that they took this guy fourth overall with, hope that he could be this athletic mini Kawhi Leonard um, type of player. And that's just like a silly comparison to even say out loud right now. But um, you do see the, 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 the physical tools, the, when he hits threes, which he has been kind of doing a little bit lately, it looks really good when he drives closeouts and makes a play. It looks really good. Um, I wouldn't, I like, you know, I was like really high on him like two years ago. And then um, I'm not really at that level of optimism, but he is still technically 22 years old, which I think a lot of people do forget about also. So there's still definitely room for improvement. I think his situation has been just God awful. And it's no like coincidence that I think he's been playing his best basketball with Zach Levine out of the lineup. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, obviously he is very much underperformed the number four pick. The fact that he reportedly wanted a very big contract on a rookie scale extension is a little silly to me, but at the same time, Michael, if I were another team, absolutely kick the tires on him as like a redraft new Mm -hmm. situation candidate as an RFA this year. Um, If they, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they, they qualify him just because of the, you know, the asset investment today. Well, where are you at on, uh, on where the bulls are? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, you know what? They Obviously, they got to tear it down. They should move the, the parts. I think the scary thing for pretty much everybody is just, like, you end up in a situation like the Pistons, right? I mean, like, obviously, there's that's not all rebuilds. If you do the rebuild right, you could be OKC, and everyone would want to be OKC. Um, but, like, I think that's the scary part. I think especially when you look at the, the personal level, it's like, is it possible to rebuild under the same management? Because they brought in this management group, and they brought in the likes of DeMar DeRozan. They brought in, um, you know, Nick Vucevic. They brought, they drafted some of these guys. So you're asking these people to the, admit that they have essentially failed in their original plans, which typically led to these people getting fired. So, you know, I think back to, like, when the Raptors way, way back in the day were also floundering. They were, like, midseason. They're like, you know what? Let's trade for Rudy Gay. Let, let's trade for Rudy Gay. Let, let's let's see what happens. And I think that was Brian Colangelo's last move as a Raptor GM. It's just like once you go through these one of these rebuilds and it doesn't work out, uh, you're you're for sure getting let go. So I, I feel bad for the Bulls in some ways because of the, the Lonzo thing. It's you know, yep. it, it's that's something out of their control and that's something that seemed to have really worked for them. But they also like to look back on the Lonzo era, like they looked back on the Derrick Rose era. It's like no, I mean, come on, Lonzo was like a really good glue player 
who like did a lot of things that this team needed to function. But like your franchise can't ride on Lonzo Bull, you know. So anyway, it, it's a it's a tough situation all around. But, like I, I see in here something about the curse. What is this? Oh yeah. What is this? All right. Are we ready to pivot there? Okay. So um, we can talk other things too. I just I'm yeah. just curious. I'm, so I have two questions for my the curse is uh is a new show with Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone. Um, okay. If you've seen anything Nathan Fielder before the rehearsal or Nathan for you, it's that same level of dry, very, very dry okay. uh, comedy. And in this case, a much darker one. So without spoiling anything, um, one of the, there is a scene in a recent episode, Michael, where a little girl curses Nathan Fielder with just a little curse. The whole idea is the curse is small. You don't actually want to cause harm to the person. It's just a silly one. And in this case, it's, well, his spaghetti dinner is missing the chicken. And he orders a chicken pasta, and it comes without chicken. And this little girl cursed them, and that's it. So, Michael, in the spirit of the curse, um, and again, you can't do something large and harmful. It has to be something that feels small and inconsequential. Uh, you are on the court, or you're a GM or something like that. You can give a mini, tiny curse to an opponent. What are you going with? So you asked me that question to prep. And one of the other questions you asked me was which NBA <laughs> front office is most likely to fall for a Nathan Fielder prank. Yeah. And can I answer that question? Instead? Yeah, let's well, it's because... the Knicks, right? No, it's I actually it's the Lakers. It's Rob ah. Polinka. <laughs> Rob, Rob Polinka, um, you know, he has these genius talks every so often where he invites a celebrity to speak to the team for whatever reason. Lord knows what they can impart on professional Wait, basketball on. players. The Lakers are doing little TED talks for the team. Oh yeah, they it's a it's a thing. They had Will Smith. I gotta look. This um, up. I'm blanking on anyone else, but yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Interesting. Um, so they bring uh, Nathan Fielder in, and then he proceeds to give. So what he did for Nathan <laughs> for you is he would give you know advice to um, small businesses to try to get them that were struggling to get them on the up and up. Um, so Nathan would come in. He would talk to Jeannie and Rob. Palenka and you know he would give them ideas about how to cut costs without making any substantial salary dumps and I would just like imagine them um getting rid of all their cold tubs or <laughs> um strategically to try to you know their three-point percentage has been terrible so instead of practicing with regulation size basketballs Nathan would suggest that they practice with balls that are slightly larger so that when they get in an actual game the rim looks bigger than it <laughs> actually is and just like how Baseball players use heavier on deck bats. Like I could totally see Nathan Fielder convincing Rob Palenka to at least have a conversation with Darvin Ham about that. And that just inspired laughter in me internally. So I wanted to kind of get that one out there. So thank you, Blake. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> it is a great visual. It is a fun visual. And I thought the Knicks, I, I would pick the Knicks who they would be most susceptible to it just because very they're the, fair. They're yeah. the Knicks. Like they they paid a first round pick for Andrea Bargnani, and I'm still not sure that that wasn't a bit. Mm. Uh, so I I think they'd be uh, they'd be pretty susceptible here. This lawsuit that they are doing outside of the NBA might be this exact scenario. Some lawyer <laughs> pitched them on something that's just going to cost them tons and tons of billable hours, um, and, and is going to do nothing for them. Um, so that actually, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense when the what you're thinking like that. I'm like. Wait, why is James Dolan doing this? And uh, yeah. yeah, this is a Nathan Someone Fielder probably bit. did talk them into doing this. Yeah, right. me, Nathan Fielder, and Alex graduated from some of Canada's top business schools with really good grades, Michael. Wow. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, he's, a, he's a UVic guy. He went to University of Victoria. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's a great trivia. Um, I, I will, it'll come useful 
one day, five years down the line at a random bar. Uh, okay, so I, I know you don't have any thoughts on this because you're not a Nathan Fielder. No, you're, no, you're it's not all good. I, I, I thought the little curse would be someone talks Messiah into getting another 6'9 forward who doesn't really shoot well. But like that, you're, what you're missing is one more of these guys. Yeah. I think, I think that would be a nice little curse, too. Buddy, the trade deadline's not far away. No. It's two months and four <laughs> days away. Get don't ready. Get ready to learn Jonathan Kaminga, buddy. <laughs> Honestly, when I'm watching Kaminga, I'm like, you know what? I could I could be talked into this. I, I could, could fix him. I, I, I'm not I could fix him, man. He's definitely a more consistent shooter than Precious, but that's not exactly a bar. Um, like, yeah. Okay, uh, Michael, before we let you go here, uh, one basketball question. They don't play tonight. They play tomorrow. Phoenix Suns, uh, you wrote this terrific piece at the Ringer about Devin Booker potentially being the best point guard in the league right now. And, and I know there is Tyrese Halliburton. This is his year. People don't think of Devin Booker as a traditional uh, point guard necessarily, but the only players in basketball averaging more assists are Halliburton, Trey Young, Nikola Jokic, and Fred Van Vliet. Um, Michael, how high are you on the Suns right now, even without having seen how all this works with Bradley Beal? I'm very high. I mean, health is obviously their big variable for sure. And the fact that um, their big three has not played a second together is a little concerning, but me personally, I'd rather have this happen in December than in April or May. Um, so assuming Bradley Beal can get right what I've seen so far from them, um, they look really good. Like offensively, there's just nothing you can do with them when Devin Booker has it going. The fact that he's embraced this playmaking role and has excelled in it. Um, even when Kevin Durant is not available to play or not in the game or whatever, you look at the players who are around Devin Booker and he has been nothing short of brilliant. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love their offense, love their spacing. Um, they have uh, really effective three-point shooters up and down um, the team. Eric Gordon has played really well this season. Um he looks really young and spry um, and KD is averaging like 32 points a game and like 50, 50 hundreds shooting splits or whatever it is. Like he's just a fountain of youth and just truly remarkable. So I like them a lot defensively. Obviously there are definitely, there are questions for sure. And um, we don't need to talk about those, <laughs> but I think in a playoff series, um, if they get everything humming offensively, they're just going to be, dropping like 125, 130 a night, and I don't know how you slow them down. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying, especially now that Yusuf Nurkic is also kind of rounding into form, finishing more in the post. They're, they're finding especially ways to against the Raptors. Him. Yeah, no, but listen, Devin Booker wasn't the best point guard in the league against the Raptors. That's, that's for sure. No, OG, he wasn't. OG Anobi, baby. That's because I wrote about him. You know, I did, yeah, I did Toronto a solid with exactly yeah. to bring it back, yeah. That's pretty good. All right, Michael, we appreciate you. Uh, everybody go follow him on Twitter, follow all your work over at the ringer. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll call you again in the near future. <laughs> Will, I appreciate you, Blake. Love you. Thanks guys. All right. We're going to take our last break for today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet radio network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Uh, for the fourth and final segment, we have brought in producing co-host Alex Wong, who is going to show his hairline for the first time. <laughs> In at least a year, uh, and he's going to take us around the NBA. What's going on, Alan? What's up, guys? Oh, my God. This looks insane. Um, 
Yeah, it's a little hot in here today. So shouts to uh, Sportsnet facilities for, um, you know, raising the rent on us and making us hustle even harder. So Blake, I know in the first segment you had questioned whether Faisal should be allowed to wear a jersey with his own name on it. Uh, allowed? So. I'm I'm fine. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> I was just asking you particularly as yeah. like a jersey and just generally sports gear yes, connoisseur. as a money waster. If, if that's yeah. a foul or if that's, uh, that's yeah, a fair see, play. I feel like that's for each personal, you know, individual to, to decide. So I believe we do have Faisal Kamisa, um, you know, tapping in on Zoom from down the street. Um, so if Faisal is available here, uh, yeah. we would love to chat with him. Uh, Faisal Kamisa, how Hi. are you, my friend? Yeah, please don't uh, like dock my eye. Oh, oh, oh my god! Sorry, I, sorry. Was this inappropriate for the podcast? I, I, for the podcast listeners, Faisal has showed up in his Kenya hockey jersey, and he's he's got multiple Kamisa jerseys on right now. No, no, you're right. I should be professional. I should be professional. Hold on. Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. Oh, no. He's now Kamisa got a Kamisa six. number six Raptors jersey on backwards. Uh, yeah. What's. Yo, yeah. what's good, man? You want to come in studio? Like, just hop in two yeah. minutes? Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> so, so answer the question for us. You know, you showed up in a Faisal yeah. Kamisa Kenya hockey jersey on, yeah. on Saturday. It is a very nice jersey. I will give it that. It's a cool look. Thank you, but I uh, I uh, I would like to explain the context a little bit because I feel like it's unfair. Like I'm not rolling around the streets of Toronto just hanging out with my <laughs> name on a fun, right? There was uh, a theme to this event that Alex had, the 14th, I think, book event uh, for prehistoric available everywhere right now. Um, and he said you have to pull up in a in a jersey, but specifically like a vintage jersey. So I'm thinking, okay. Well, I've got to be different here, okay? I've got to be a little bit different. I don't want to, you know, I could do a throwback Raptors jersey. I got the Vince Carter OG ones hanging out over there. I got some soccer kits hanging out over here. But I'm like, no, I want a conversation starter here, okay? So what better than the Kenya Ice Lions jersey? Now, to be fair, this isn't like I didn't go to Kenya and play ice hockey there. (laughs) There's an organization that started an ice hockey endeavor in East Africa, which is unbelievable to me. And I have family that live out there. We have uh, family origin that come from East Africa as well. And the idea of ice hockey being played there is just unfathomable. I know this is a basketball show, so I apologize for bringing that sport into this. But when my cousin sent me this a couple years ago, I was like, man, this is awesome. And there's very few places for me to wear this, you know, and this felt like the place to do so. And it was a unique jersey, Alex. I think you can vouch for that. I don't think anybody else has this. In fact, <laughs> I went as far as hey, nobody else in Canada has this and and I'm pretty confident in that but uh yeah I was proud of it and I know it says my name on it but uh I I didn't care I didn't care could have been AK could have been AK that I was rocking that's uh that's a great explanation and a great backstory so I'm 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 sold on it I I also I by the way Alex I don't know if you caught this but the undershirt he's wearing under this jersey is the cover story shirt from your last oh my god this guy's a walking at I think the bigger problem is how many Camisa jerseys do you own brother (laughs) yeah well, I mean, how many? Actually, the better question is, how many Camisa jerseys do you own, Alex? Uh, I got, I got one, and currently working on two others. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and anyways, it so was, is uh, there is I, there another scenario where you would rock a Camisa jersey? Like, when is it acceptable outside of Saturday for you to rock a Camisa? You think? Yeah, no, that that's a great question. I think if I were to Thank ever you. actually get on the ice and play like hockey mm. or skate, 
I would rock one of the throwback, like either the the Applewood jerseys that I used to play in, which is this one, uh, or these ones. I have a couple here, obviously, and or this one because I think this one is a really cool standout piece on whatever surface of of ice you're you're doing. Will you good over there? You're just kind of nodding your head. I know you got the jersey backwards, so everyone's <laughs> laughing at me, but like yours is hanging out there too. <laughs> No, I'm just enjoying this fashion advice, you know. Um, what jersey did you wear on Saturday? What did I wear? I wore an AI jersey, but it was like... Uh, was it real or fake? It was real. Okay. I got it at a venture so, store, and it was it, like all white in the top and all red on the bottom. <laughs> kind of looked like a popsicle. Nice. But yeah, I have for some reason, I have a lot of AI jerseys. But no, I mean, I, what about this backward uh, jersey trend? I feel like people are doing this more and more. What trend? I, just because there's two guys on the no, show I, doing I, I, it right I, I, now? I, I, I that doesn't make it a trend, bro. I think this is a trend, bro. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have not seen this on the streets I think this is since a trend. high school, man. Yeah, if, if Hazel, <laughs> oh, talk to me about me. the backwards jersey trend. 2001, the fabulous era, F-A-B-O-L-O-U-S. Mm. You were rocking jerseys backwards wherever you went i know that i had a jerry rice raiders jersey that i wore backwards yeah Ooh, yeah so that that's was the one that i did that's tough so yeah. i love not being on screen by the way um i think it fits the player empowerment era it's like you know oh, we yeah. we all cheer for laundry but you know it, these, these right. guys are about the name on the back not on the facial camis is about the name on the back not the yeah. not the name on the front if you're a stand because there's lots of like like Stan accounts online, but there's like just real life like stands of, of players. Like when KD came into town, there was like I, I, I told the story a couple times now, but there's like dozens of different KD jerseys. If you're a player stand, you should wear the, the player's name on the front. Yeah, I like that. I think the other question, I guess, for for Will and Blake is, do you guys own jerseys with your name on the back? Uh, that would require me to have actually played sports at any respectable level, so that's a no. Okay. Yeah. What what about you, Blake? Uh, so. From actually playing, no, Cambridge is not like these Toronto area leagues where all these guys kept their own jerseys. Like oh. even playing rep, your jersey went back to Cambridge Minor Hockey at the end of the year and someone else wore it the next year. You weren't gotcha. keeping your jerseys. So the only one I have yeah. is a, a Canada basketball one from a charity tour. I think you played in the charity game last year as well, right, Faisal? Yeah, that one's right here. Yeah, <laughs> Yo, you really have a whole Camisa yeah. collection. That's man. the only one I have. <laughs> You know what? Yo. You know what? You're allowed to do whatever you want, man. You know what? This is like the I, I know I know you as a big soccer fan would appreciate this. There's a whole segment that they do on PT Sport called uh, What I Wore. And it's like, you know, they'll bring in a legend like uh, David Beckham and he'll go through all the jerseys of like, this is what I wore yeah. this year and the, the yeah. attachment to Umbro this year in 97 mm. and, and whatever. And here's my LA Galaxy. This is Faisal doing this as a, as a broadcaster, which is incredible. So. Oh, well, I think, I think, Will, you'll appreciate this the most. What I wanted to wear if it wasn't for this, because I didn't want to wear a basketball jersey. I wanted to either do soccer or this Kenya jersey. Sure. It was going to be number 10, oh. Columbia. Yo. Yo, you guys don't even and know I, about this, man. I, I don't. This no. is like his Linsanity run. Okay. <laughs> LeBron was tweeting like, oh, James Gang or whatever, even though his name was Hamas. Oh, which is still spelled, spelled James, obviously. But, like, yeah, no, he, he had a generational run for Colombia. Just that goal in that World Cup, well, those goals in the World Cup. But that this was an iconic kid back in the day because he was an iconic player uh, in that World Cup. But I wanted to go off the board a little bit. And mm. uh, also, long sleeves felt more appropriate given that it was cold, you know? Yeah. Just... Faisal, I know, I know you moved uh, heaven and earth to make this happen. So I want to yeah. keep you on for one more question here. You know, Scotty sure. Barnes showed up in a Christine Sinclair jersey on Friday, and he talked about it a little bit yeah. after the game, how he reached out to her, and they're going to do a little jersey swap. So if you were pulling up um, to pander to Canadian fans um, in the tunnel, which all-time, like, Canadian-related jersey would you pull up in? 
I'm literally trying to see if the Christine Sinclair jersey is with him. Okay, Hey, brother. <laughs> what is this, Joe LaPuma, but jerseys right uh, now? <laughs> you know what else would be cool? The the Vancouver Whitecaps Davies jersey. Oh, for yeah, me, it's like, nice. well, this one is nice, man. And this one is not going to come out of that frame because it's uh, got a little writing on it. But yeah. uh, it, would, it would be one of the Canadian soccer legends as well. Maybe the Craig Forrest, yeah. given that I got the work him back in the day no, and, we we talking trees right now <laughs> yeah, yeah okay we do for a while i feel like i've overstayed my visit uh, here no no and, don't worry don't worry just just stay you're good you're good on camera presence uh blake what are you rocking yeah it would depend on the sport uh okay. what i'm showing up for if i if it's hockey i'll probably go marie philip land um Ooh. in baseball i thought about this one a lot and Votto's too recent, and he's not mm. done yet. A Larry Walker Expos jersey, though, Ooh. could go pretty hard, I think. A Canadian player, former Canadian team. And then on the basketball side, the jerseys are so ugly from this event. But a Steve Nash, year 2000, Canada Olympic jersey. Yo, I love that, man. I was going to say Todd McCullough yeah, from, from that from that era. Uh, what about you, William? I don't know if I'm that patriotic. To, to, I don't have any <laughs> candidates. But you're pandering. It's not about the patriotism. No, no, no. no. You're, you're pandering. Like, what's going to get the most attention for people to be like, oh, my God, Will pulled up in this. He showed love to Canada. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Just pull up on your Yao Ming yeah. Team China, okay? Yeah. The, <laughs> like, the yeah. first jersey I thought of was Yi Jian Leon. Okay, know? okay. That has nothing to do with this segment, bro. I have no answers. Okay. I genuinely have no um, answers. I'm sorry. All right. Faisal, anything else you'd like to add as the former global ambassador of the show? Oh, yeah, fun. I was going to say, I can't believe the first appearance in two years was to talk about my wardrobe choice at Alex's book event. But you know what? Fair enough. Happy to be on with you guys. So thank you. No, I love you, bro. Text me in five minutes. Uh, I'll see you at a Rapa nearby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sir Charles Faisal. over here. By the uh, way, I have the answer for Will, I think. It okay. scratches the Raptors hardcore itch and to what you were getting to, the China itch. A Mengi Batir Raptors jersey. Oh, that's, yes. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like See, that. If you put some thought into it, you could have answered it. Uh, it's no Joffrey Lavernier OKC jersey, oh, but uh, you know, it's pretty high up there. Yeah. Shouts to my uh, inner Mongolian king right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to proceed even though it's uh, really hot in here. Um, so you guys mentioned that Darko is offering a free pizza party if the Raptors <laughs> win three in a row. So where, win three in a row are, or dinner man. with Jay-Z. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the Shohei Otani, you know, sweepstakes are going on. There's huge odds going on. Dodgers yeah, are the favorites. Mm. So like a Jays are second, blah, blah, blah. So I want to put up some odds here for dinner spots okay. that the Raptors are going to go to when they win three straight and get your thoughts. I think the favorite is Pi. At minus 250. Well, they've already done one at Pi. Though. They've That's done the many of them at Pi. <laughs> I think Garrett Temple showed up accidentally on Grady Dick's birthday night. When you go to Pi, it's like uh, you got to go downstairs first, and there's like a wall by yes. the stairs, and yes. the wall is just like of all the famous patrons that they had. Yes. Obviously, there's lots of famous patrons. It's like basketball reference for the Raptors, man. No, <laughs> Every really Raptor is on that wall. Yeah. Shouts so, to Pi. So I'm saying Pi is the favorite yeah, at, at minus 250. It's a good one. I've got Harbor 60 as a plus 150. I think Harbor 60 Scotty has said as a favorite. It's like right there, right? From I, I don't yeah. get these places uh, except yeah. for Pi, but like mm -hmm. I, I, it's like right there. Yeah. So. Here's a question for you, Blake. So they win three straight, um, hopefully by February, and then they're like, okay, we're going to go to this dinner. Who chooses the spot, you think? Because well, it's going to be tough for like 15 guys to come to a group decision. So this is where, because Darko's foot in the bill, I would place a long shot bet on a place like Bonami. In oh. Etobicoke, uh, you know, like okay. kind of uh, Eastern European food. I, I don't know if it's like technically Serbian food or it's yeah, just like kind of that. a mix of modern European. 
But I would lean something like that because I'd have to feel like if you are buying the dinner, who knows, maybe his little leadership council that we've <laughs> talked about before that decides on shoot-around locations. Like maybe this is a Garrett Temple decision, okay. uh, Garrett Temple and company. Yeah. But I, I'd, I'd put a long shot bet on uh, on like a modern European place. Around. I like That's that. sick. I just looked it up. It's a Serbian restaurant? Well, we should go there, man. It's Derek. in like a Tobacco. Like it's not yeah. really oh, like downtown. downtown. Want, but <laughs> if, they cool were going, me, if they were going like after practice yeah. from yeah, yeah, yeah. the OVO Center, it wouldn't be that bad, I don't oh, think. Oh, this isn't in a blur? Oh, what? man. What's Islington? It's the if, other Manual Life Center. If we do. Not the one here at Bay, but if you <laughs> go all the way down to Islington Station. Yeah. Yo, if we do three straight good shows, oh my I'll God. take y'all there. Shout out um, to the Orwell's Pub near there. And too. Derek Brandale will foot the bill. Um, Cactus <laughs> okay. Club, I got I, it. I had a lettuce. Cactus, Cactus your way. Club uh, at plus 300. I don't think you can rule that out. Although That's Blake, pretty good value. Blake's right, though. Like Ooh, if, it's, if it's Darko, like they're not going <laughs> to go to Cactus Club. STK Steakhouse, I've never heard of. It's in Yorkville. Also, rookie um, head coach, just getting like, like yeah. you don't get the whole contract money up front. I don't know if you want to take a whole team of guys to a steakhouse. Uh, I don't know if that many so checks steak, have cashed yeah. yet. Okay, so we'll put mm. those at plus 500 along with Jacobs. I guess you're right. Darko makes, I think, actually, we don't know how much Darko makes. I would yeah. imagine it's on the lower end in the league. Yeah, let's say like three to coach. five per year. Right. No, of course, we're talking mills. Like, yeah. shouldn't the t- Pascal making 30? Uh, I also love how Pascal, I guess, Darko is like, Pascal thinks I'm cheap. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I made six times as much as you guys, I would pay for your lunches. That's yeah. what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I make you pay anyways. Um, oh, okay, Patois, I got a plus 500 because we know nice. that's uh, some of the favorites of the Raptors. That's also a really good value. I think it's going to be pie, guys. Like, I actually think it's going to be Well, here's the thing. I, I like the idea of this question, but <laughs> they typically go on dinners on the road. That's what that's what Dennis oh, was telling us okay. on last week's show. Yeah. So and they're yeah. that opens it all up. Assuming I'm presuming their travel schedule correctly. Yeah. They're gonna have a whole weekend off in New York. Yeah. This weekend they oh, play in okay. Charlotte on Friday and then they don't play again until Monday against yeah. the Knicks. Now it's impossible for them to have won three in a row by then. Yeah. They only have two games before then. Mm. But maybe if you beat the Heat and then beat the Hornets by like forty, you can like yeah. cash in that three in a row do, uh, one game ahead of time. Do you have the schedule? I do. I'm up. Where Where does it look like they might win three in a row in this uh, sked here that I you're mean, looking at? Like a- it's probably anything kind of stands out. Yeah, I mean, after this Miami game, it's Charlotte, the Knicks, and Atlanta, and I know the Knicks just. That's, put it on them pretty bad. Julius doable. Randall, player of the week. Um, yeah. But that those are winnable games. They've got a back-to-back against Atlanta and then Charlotte again. So if you're confident yeah. against Atlanta, this is actually probably, and I know the Knicks, Heat, and Hawks are all going to be playoff or playing teams in the East, but a run of Miami, Charlotte, Knicks, Hawks, Hawks, Charlotte is about as easy as the schedule is going to get probably in terms of like six winnable games in a row. So, so three, funny because so last year. So three and three, you say? Last year, you guys remember when the Raptors had this six-game homestand in December. This was and, the must-win. And we were like, this is a must-win homestand. <laughs> you better, this, go, better go five and one. Better go six and oh. Better is this go when four they open with that Bucks game? And then they open with that Bucks game. Oh, and they shot my God. One for 15 from the field, maybe? One two of, of 30 to start, two of 30, I want to yeah, say. Two of 30. Yeah. So, and then we've never been on national TV again. So Darko's is this is this cap circumvention? Um, him paying the thing. I mean, it'd be pretty funny if they got fined while they have a lawsuit hanging over them. Speaking of terrible cap, cap circumvention, because <laughs> you picked up a forty dollar tab for a player. You know who should pay? That's what this Nancy Double was like for a while. <laughs> you know who should pay as of Tam. Um, oh, guys, Terrence Ross, formerly of the Raptors, officially announced his retirement last week on his podcast, and just wanted to give a quick moment because I think Terrence Ross was a fan favorite here. For a period of time, I remember he had a fifty-point, 
Yeah, fifty point game against I'll the Clippers. Remember the dunk Ross contest champion. Yeah, dunk contest champ. That crazy right. dunk against the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, a turnover I'm, he forced at the end of Game Seven. Nets Raptors. Yeah, yeah. To give the Raptors a chance. Although yeah. he was also in the wrong place on the ensuing. Oh, that's yeah, the way. Yeah, that's yeah. the way. It's we don't. We don't. Yeah, yeah, we yeah don't. drop the ATO on the wrong side of the floor. That's right. That's why. If anyone has ever been curious over the years, why Kyle is so Kyle Lowry is so adamant about when he comes down the floor and is calling a timeout, he stands in the middle of the floor. Usually we see uh, a point guard go to one of the hash marks on either sideline because it's a little safer to protect the ball. But if you do that, you have to inbound on that side. Kyle Lowry, ever since that play where they drew up the ATO on the wrong side of the floor, Mm. stops, calls the timeout in the middle so that you have the choice of what side you're going to inbound on. Kyle Lowry is really a genius, man. I miss him so much. Yeah, is that breaking news? No, uh-huh. it's not. I just <laughs> what are show you him bringing to the table in segment four? I'm sorry, man. I already already did three. All right, go <laughs> ahead and carry this one that you're doing. Sorry, sorry. It's really hot in here, um, guys. Uh, Joe Mazzulla was asked. Whether... Oh, what about the Terrence Ross thing? That's oh, yeah. Oh well, you guys didn't seem like you were that excited. No, no, so I, I moved I mean, on. He's got a 50 point game. He's got a yeah. dunk contest championship. He's got that weird defending the slam dunk contest championship the in the year dunks? they did yeah. team ones, and his team technically won. But right. John Wall got voted best dunker. So like, is he a two time dunk champion? He won, and then his team won. Yeah. Um, the one that stands out for me though is a bizarre one where he hit the buzzer beater. Against the Kings, this was early in the 2016-17. This was a controversial thing, and it didn't count. It Mm. didn't count because the scores they reviewed it, and they were like, the scores started the clock too late. The shot shouldn't have got off, and it's always stuck with me because the logic of that is flawed. Because to me, if Terrence Ross looked up and saw the clock was further down, he would have got the shot off faster. Mm -hmm. You are then assuming Terrence Ross would not have reacted properly to the clock being operated properly. Uh, I don't know why this is still stuck with me, why I'm still mad about it, I'm but I am. This. Yeah. I remember that game. That was, a, yeah. that was a huge controversy at the beginning of that Dwayne season. Dwayne Casey, DeMar DeRozan went over to confront the referee. Yeah. Uh, Who hasn't DeMar confronted <laughs> Maybe DeMar's just a little confrontational, but I actually <laughs> respect listen that. to Vince Staples, man. Um, uh, no, but seriously, Terrence Ross, I mean, I just remember always being in or out on Terrence Ross. Like, it was like a run ongoing mm. bit back in, like, 2013, 2014. And, like, I don't know. Sometimes I get really frustrated because I was like, you know what? This is a really talented player. Mm. Uh, 3 and D mold. Uh, can jump out the gym. Can really shoot it as well. But, like, it just never really hit that level for me as a Raptor. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's still a very likable dude. So, yeah. shout out to Terrence Ross. Happy, happy retirement, buddy. Some version of Terrence Ross would be such an unbelievable fit on this Raptors team. Like, a guy who hits yeah, 38% sure. of his threes and, and can shake. I guess, like, that's what they try to get out of Gary Trent Jr. But I don't, I don't know yeah. if that's been as consistent yet as... Yeah, Terrence Ross or Gary Trent Jr. is a good, uh, it's a good argument I take after Gary. his career. I take Gary. All right, I think we're almost wrapped up, so I'm going to let's just let you guys know uh, Avika Zubac's nicknames. Oh, yeah. That that's, was, that's, that's a great list. So on, on Basketball Reference, it's Zublock, Zublaka, Big Z, Zoo, Zupak, Zoo Elcinder. <laughs> oh, my God. And then Larry Nance's former teammate added... Ones that he came up with, uh-huh. Zuchi Main, okay. Zudacris, Little no. Lil Zuzi Vert, that's not good. Zuby Doo and Judge Zudi. Any of these, man? Sounds, any of these sounds really sounds like Larry Nance wants to be a part of the Zutang Clan. Judge Zudi, that's me off that Theo Melodome, man. Yo, that's great. Oh man, well, these are great nicknames, man. They, these are amazing. This is the Zubach really need that many nicknames? By the way, his, his nickname should be Zubat, which is a very popular Pokemon. Zoo Elcinder is incredible. <laughs> well, what has he done to get the Zoo Elcinder? First defensive stop, he'd be Zoo Holiday. Oh my. 
All right. We're, we're going to stop here today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. please. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Taz Mellis, Michael Pena, uh, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, or producer Jason Hazel Camisa. Jason, or James Wilson, David Sis, Jeremy Anatite, helping behind the scenes. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>